Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, Ben writes for a number of publications, including Auto Guide, Haggerty, Auto Trader. Um, what else is there out there, Ben? Uh, Post Media and the New York Daily News. And I myself am the road test editor at autoguide.com. And uh, we have some pretty cool cars to talk to you about this week. Actually, some very fast German cars. Ben, why don't you take it away with the newer of the two vehicles, which is the Mercedes-AMG C63. That's, Go ahead. That's right. It, it is the newer of the of the vehicles we're talking about this week, but only in certain ways, Sammy, because the 2019 C63 and C63S are more of a refresh than a full-up redesign. Now, that's a really interesting way to take a look at it. I always say that a refresh is usually pretty superficial, and this new vehicle has a brand new transmission, a 9-speed automatic instead of the old, I think it was a 7-speed? Yeah, it's got, I could say that the updates that have been made to the C63 can be divided into two categories. There's the mechanical updates, like the ones you just mentioned, and then there's the electronic updates, and those are the two areas that have had the biggest impact. You also get um, somewhat of a restyling on the outside and the inside it's not dramatic it does look a bit more modern but really uh what really caught my attention was the i i hesitate to use the word training wheels that have been added to the c63 but uh that's kind of how it comes across uh i went to bilsterberg which is a racetrack a private racetrack in germany just outside of paderborn and it is an amazing facility sammy it's designed by herman tilke who's the guy who's been putting up f1 tracks all over the world for the last decade or so actually longer what? than that yeah he's also the guy who helped redesign the nordschleife when they wanted to make it a little safer and a bit more modern um, that's in that's in, like part of the Nürburgring, right? Yes. So he there's there's some people who say that the Bilsterberg facility is like a mini Nürburgring because it has I think 44 uh, elevation changes and 19 oh corners. God. Yeah, and and uh, also uh, Walter Roll, I, I never say that right. He was involved in the design as well. So some parts of the track kind of feel like a forest rally stage. It, it's really an amazing track. I I was able to drive it last year with the Mercedes-AMG GT, uh, the pure sports car that just came out, um, mm -hmm. or not just came out, but the, the the R version had just come out, which is why we were there. And mm -hmm. I loved it. I fell in love with it right away. It's a fun track. It's challenging without feeling dangerous. Um, and that's really hard to do, especially at a modern track where so many, you end up with tons of runoff and a lot of paved areas, and it kind of feels like a lot of like Circuit of the Americas, which is a challenging track, but not necessarily because it's dangerous. Uh, and I don't want to say that motorsports should be dangerous in order to be interesting, but it's... I think challenging is a good way to put it. You need to challenge the driver and the car because, first of all, modern cars are becoming so capable, um, and you don't you need to do more than just have you know the car pushed. You need the driver to know what's going on too, right? Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned modern cars are so capable because. For the C63 and the C63... Yeah, bring, it, bring it on back to the C63. Yeah, so the, the C63 and the S, they've got the same engine as they did the year before. So you're looking at a turbocharged V8. It's 4 liters, 469 horsepower in the base C63, and then uh, 503 horsepower, I believe, in the, the S model. And the S model also has 516 pound-feet of torque. It, it, the, these are pretty big numbers, and... What's cool? That's a lot of that's a lot of power. It is a lot of power, and it's very cool that Mercedes has kept both of these vehicles rear-wheel drive. So uh, oh, we know that wow. the, the E63 and the S63 have gone all-wheel drive in recent years. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, not the case for the C63. So like the M3 and the M4, the mm-hmm. uh, Mercedes has decided to keep things rear-driven, which I appreciate. I, 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 We talked about the RS5 just a few weeks ago, and that was a great car. Um, and it's in the same segment as the C63. So it's interesting that you have all these different choices as to what kind of configuration would be best for you. Cool. Um, I really love talking about sports sedans, especially these these sort of like super sports sedans, which have way more horsepower than than necessary on the road. But you got to take them to a place. You got to take the C63 to a place where you could actually stretch its legs out. So why don't you tell me, is this car as fast as 503 horsepower suggests? It's very, very quick. I think it's, in fact, within 0.1 or 0.2 seconds of the RS5 in a straight line, okay. which is impressive considering that, well, they, it has a race start function in the C63, but it's still rear-wheel drive. So okay. it's it's impressive to me that Mercedes is able to challenge all of that power and not spin the wheels just at the drop of a hat. I tried very, very hard to get this car out of shape and to spin the tires, to get the tail to slide on, on the street. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when I say on the street, I want to say that this was in a, a small uh, two-lane road with no traffic um, near the racetrack. I was just trying to get the car out of shape a little bit. It's very hard. In fact, it's almost impossible. There's just wow. so much mechanical grip and uh, electronic metering going on that the car is very, very approachable in that sense. That's, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Okay, it's it's actually both. Because uh-uh. what? On, yeah, the, I know. That's the easy way out. But see, Unnamed Automotive Podcast, we embrace dualities. And one of those dualities... <laughs> is the fact that what's good for the street isn't necessarily what's good for the track and vice versa. These cars are designed to be street driven and they're capable of being driven on the racetrack. They're not, anytime you take a luxury car, especially a sedan, and you give it the ability to go to the racetrack, it's over and above the original mission of that vehicle, which is to be fun on the street, to be comfortable on the street, and to, you know, turn heads, which the C63 does very well. However, on a racetrack, especially for 2019, the company has decided to I, I, I hesitate to use the word dial things back, but they've almost like sat a co-pilot beside you, a digital co-pilot beside you, whose hand is always on the wheel to make sure that everything you do is amazing okay. and awesome. And as a result of that, things are a little less amazing okay. and awesome <laughs> when when you're trying to turn That's in a hot really interesting because I think everyone has a really um, romantic view of the C63, especially back in, I think, maybe 2015 when it when it really came, uh, came about. You can get it with that, uh, I think, that Black Edition model. And a lot of people thought making a lot of rear tire smoke. Um, and you're making it sound like that's just not possible anymore. And that just doesn't seem like the nature of an AMG. I mean, is that what AMG is now? They're these, like, really finesse, these finessed um, sports cars for the track. And that's what it sounds like. You can definitely get the tire smoke going, and I will tell you how to do that a little bit later on. Uh, But just getting back to the idea that it's a more managed experience now. So they've installed this new thing. In addition to the 9-speed transmission, which works great, by the way, uh, it was it, it was excellent out there. I, I never used the paddle shifters on the track. I never had to. It knew it knew what gear I needed to be in. Um, it never felt like it was getting in the way, and it never felt like it was getting confused, which is, I think, the best thing you can ask from an automatic transmission in a high-performance can I, situation. Can I ask you a quick question about the but, transmission? <clears throat> sure. You mentioned something about uh, like uh, before to me about skip shift capability. What, what is that all about? What does yeah. that mean? 
Well, it can. Let's say you're in eighth gear, you can suddenly be in third gear, like bam, instantaneously. <sighs> They, 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 it has a wet clutch instead of a torque converter, uh, which they've tried to – they put that in there so that the car feels more immediate off the line. But where you really appreciate the, the instantaneous acceleration is that ability to just jump from a cruising gear to an acceleration gear with no Okay, hesitation. that's pretty cool. So it's not like it's just like you don't have to cycle through each gear when you reach a corner or something like that. It will, it will do that automatically. It will jump that gear. To that. That's pretty cool. Exactly, exactly. Um, but there's another feature that they've they've installed that's that's not a, a mechanical feature like the the transmission. It's an electronic feature. And it's called AMG Dynamics. So this is kind of weird. AMG Dynamics. It's not stability control, but it works with stability control. And uh, on the on the S car, you have um, four or five driving modes. You've got like Sport, Sport Plus, Race efficiency or comfort i can't remember what it's called and there's a slippery setting for for winter or if you're in the rain so the 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 base model only gets gets all of those except for race now i mention this because normally when you put a car in race mode it 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 would suggest that the training wheels are off and that the stability control has been dialed back as much as possible the traction control has been dialed back as much as possible and things are kind of in your own hands at that point for the c63s it's not quite like that AMG Dynamics is in the background at all times, and what it does is it tries to predict what the car and driver are going to do, and then intervene before it needs mm-hmm. to intervene. So it's yeah, it's taking a look at things like yaw, the steering wheel angle, uh, accelerator input, all of this stuff, and it's calculating that okay, you might be about to enter a downhill corner, and for a downhill corner, this is the amount of braking you're going to need on the inside or outside wheel. This is how much throttle assistance we're going to dial in or dial back. And then it does all of that for you instead of just reacting to the car getting out of shape. So instead of you fishtailing through the corner and the stability control being like, whoa, that's not cool, and then grabbing the back of the car and, right. and straightening it out, it tries to do that preventatively. And it does it even in race mode. In race mode, it gives you the widest latitude, but it's okay, still Okay, so there. does this make you feel fast on the track, or does it make you feel like you're not driving anymore? I can tell you that it makes it makes things feel what a little mean? weird. Because you – well, it, when when for most cars that have an electronic stability mm. control program, you can predict how it's going to act okay. yourself. So you can drive around it. You know that if you get the car X number of degrees out of shape in a corner, that's when stability control mm-hmm. is going to kick in. You know if you get on the throttle this much more than you should uh, on exit, that's when traction control is going to dial it back. But if it's predictive, if the prediction's going on the side of the software instead of the side of the driver, you can't tell what's going to happen. So what would, what would end up happening is I'd be in a corner and – Suddenly, like, the car is a little bit less responsive than I'd want it to be or than, than it was a few seconds earlier in terms of throttle input. Or maybe it's starting to brake a little bit earlier than I would have started mm. braking. And it's it's not transparent. So you end up with a lap that's maybe cleaner. And I don't know if it's faster because we weren't timing uh, the vehicles. But it's definitely a managed experience. It feels very much like uh, not a video game, but... Almost like a yeah. training kind it's of It's like sensation. hill descent control for the track. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. And it, it's so it's so strange because as far as I know, there's no other car company that's doing this. This is a new thing that AMG mm-hmm. has brought out. And I can understand why because if you're a novice – you have 503 even inter- on the track, that uh, on the rear wheels, that's, yeah. that's, that's intimidating. This man. lets it, – it lets you do intense things in a way that's perhaps less dangerous. 
but if you wanted to disable it, you can't. There's no way to turn it off ever. And and here's the other even weirder thing that happened to me several times on the track. So the car has uh, – most Mercedes-Benzes have an emergency mm-hmm. response system where if you're in an accident, it activates – like let's say you hit a wall or something or you go in a ditch. The car will automatically activate the four-way flashers. It will shut off the air conditioning in case there's uh, a fire outside and it doesn't want to suck smoke into the vehicle. And it will kill the throttle. Okay. Yeah. Um, that happened to me three times what? on Bilsterberg. On the track? Did you hit anything? Yeah. On the track. And and not when I was doing anything crazy. It was almost always the same section. There's a set of S-curves that lead to a downhill that takes you onto the rear straight, which is the, one of the fastest mm-hmm. parts of the track. When I would accelerate down that hill and get to the straight part, the uh, safety system would activate. I'd have the four ways on, all of a sudden there's no AC, and the throttle has been killed. And in fact, the driver, I was behind the pace driver for most of my sessions. The The pace driver was an AMG GT. And he would come on the radio and be like, turn off your four ways, et cetera, et cetera, this is a safety system. And I talked to them afterwards, and they say there's nothing that can be done about it, and they knew that it would happen. Uh, it's just, it because the car detects a certain G-load, and it, it thinks you've been in an accident or a collision. Wow. And it activates that system. And I was in race mode when this happened. So the car knew I was in a competition situation. And yet it still activated these very street-oriented safety systems. So that was very surprising. I've never had that happen in a, in a car before. Have, have, has uh, that ever happened No, I don't think so. But you know what? This this just makes me think of uh, – there are obviously some some bugs or glitches to, to dial out. They gave, in, they gave in to a feature that's not quite um, sorted out, which is interesting because – the AMG GTR has a traction control knob, if you remember that, like right on the dash, that allows you to put in how much traction control you're comfortable um, with. And I can imagine something like that being really useful with this uh, AMG Dynamics um, brain system, this processor, right? What? You'll be happy to know that that knob or dial exists on for the C63S, and it's on the steering but wheel. But I, I mean it would work better uh, if it was in conjunction with this AMG Dynamic system, and you can turn it off, and, or you can feel more comfortable with it. Well, well this, the, the, earlier when you were saying, you know, we were talking about power slides and smoke shows and stuff, and I was telling mm-hmm. you how you could do that, this is this is how you can do that. So you can there's nine levels of traction control that you can access, oh. and you can nine dial a, a lot. the the, the the higher the higher you go, the less traction control you have. So I kept it around three, which was pretty good. I let the car move around more than more than I would have expected, and enough to make me feel comfortable on the track. It's it, it doesn't deactivate AMG Dynamics, but there were people at the there were some drivers at the track who had it fully dialed off and were able to do power slides through okay. corners and whatnot. Something that I don't do in a car that doesn't belong to me on a track that I've only ever driven once before on a day where there are a lot of people watching. But um, I did witness it happening. So if you want to do the smoky, crazy stuff, Mm -hmm. you can. But AMG Dynamics is still going to be there in the background just (laughs) muting everything uh, because the traction control doesn't – it's separate from that system. It's the only thing you can completely disable on the car. So it's it's just you know I really like the car for the street it's very cool I think it has way more personality than an M3 or an M4 but I can tell you that on a on a racetrack something like the Cadillac mm-hmm. ATS-V or the BMW M3 is going to let you get away with a lot more stuff because it lets you just turn everything off and actually drive the car drive the chassis drive the suspension instead of driving the electronics so if you're looking for a filtered experience and you want to feel safe on the track maybe you're not confident putting a vehicle like this in that kind of situation, then the, the AMG is going to be 
the vehicle you go to for that. But if you want a more direct experience, you're going to I will admit, elsewhere. you know, a couple of weeks we were talking about the BRZ TS and how I got to take it to the track and I had a really good time with it. But um, some peop- some uh, younger folks showed up in some German hardware, including AC63. And when they went on the track, they definitely had a lot of fun. But what they ended up doing was going all out on the straights. And then as soon as the, cor- the corners came, they really dialed it back, almost to a crawling pace, where they just were not comfortable with that much power going to the rear wheels. And I can imagine something like AMG Dynamics really allowing them to feel more confident um, when pushing their car on the track. Well, and then you have to ask yourself, does creating a situation where you are not in control of the vehicle, but you're relying on a system to be in control of that vehicle, if you get into a situation where the system is no longer able to deal with it, That's what do right. you That's do? That's right. That's true. I agree because with that. Because you're, you're, you're driving past your abilities at that point. I'm not saying that's what this car will do or that I ever felt like that's what was happening in the in the AMG because I didn't. It, I never felt unsafe at any time. But it does beg the question of, you know, it, it's kind of like when we talk about autonomous cars. It's like if we have a culture that becomes attuned and used to driving or being driven in autonomous cars, if there's an emergency situation where they have to take control, will the skills they require to get out of that safely have atrophied because they don't drive very often? Or will they they still stay sharp? On a racetrack, why are you there? Are you there to impress people with lap times? Or are you there to have a good time? Or and to learn having a more good time about your means... car and your driving abilities or to improve them, right? Like, that's what I would say. Sure, but... It, how much can you improve your abilities if you're yeah. not actually driving? And how much fun can you have if you're a passenger? So these mm-hmm. it's a balance. And the more power you add, the more precarious the balance becomes. So AMG has, for the C63, this is their answer to that question. The, a- the Mercedes-AMG GT didn't feel like that at all. I drove that on the same track, and it felt very lively and uh, in tune with me as a driver and the track that we were on. So same company, two different products, two different I'm approaches. really interested in this because it is very – I'm starting to call the C63 a kind of unique in its class now because if you look at the uh, BMW M4 and the RS5, both are available with uh, – or you both use – Twin turbo V6 or turbocharged V6 six cylinder engines. Sorry, I'm messing up all of my terminology. The AMG still uses a V8, and almost nothing else in its class uses an eight cylinder engine, right? Not that I can think of. And I find that really unique. And they seem to be really edging towards um, an electronic um, aided system. And I think Mercedes themselves has wanted to do that with. Um, 48 volt mild hybrid systems, and I think AMG will definitely jump on board with that as well. Maybe this is just a precursor for that eventual reality. Well, I don't see those as necessarily being related. I mean, it's the software is 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 divorced from how many volts are running through the rest mm-hmm. of the car. I, mean, I just mean to say that I think they want to get this. They want to have more technology in their vehicles. Um, and I know the 48 volt is meant to be a, a fuel efficient thing, but I think uh, AMG could definitely take advantage of that as well. Well, you know, the reality is no one's taking these cars to the track. It's a very small demographic. AMG owners, a small, small percentage of them mm-hmm. go on the racetrack. That's just how it is. It's it's an image thing for AMG to be able to go on the track, and that's cool. And for the drivers who do take their cars to the track, I applaud them. Uh, but it's, it's not the primary purpose of these cars. I'm not going to get down on this car because it doesn't drive on the track how mm-hmm. I would like to drive it on the track. But it is disappointing that a car that's very good does not let you exploit it to its fullest or at least to the drivers the edge of the driver's abilities you're always being reined in by the car so you'll never really find out 
where the edge of your own capability is behind the wheel of the of this. And CCTV. do you have a favorite yes. in this in this class? Do you have a like a definitive favorite that you would pick if you had the money, you had to get one of these cars? I think the ATSV has the nicest. I think chassis. I like the ATSV uh, as well, mainly because it has a very good chassis and it has a great manual transmission. Yeah, and the motor is nice too. Mm. It doesn't sound great, but it it, it gets the job done. Um, I think that the the engine in the Mercedes is outstanding. It, the, the sound and the experience are incredible, and you know the fact that there's a wagon yeah. is pretty amazing too. Um, but the the RS5 that I haven't driven on a racetrack. I, I've driven it extensively on the street, and it's a very competent car. I, I don't know how passionate and engaging it would be in, in a track environment. It didn't really speak to me that way in the same way that, say, uh, an mm -hmm. RS3 did. But um, th there's there's a lot of good choices. There's a few not-so-great choices. Uh, the the Quadrifoglio is a, is a perfect example of a car I just <laughs> don't want. And the, uh, the M3 and the M4, the, the drivetrains are not impressive. Uh, I think that the M3 and the M4 may be faster than an ATSV around a track with a with a professional driver behind the wheel, but I think the ATSV okay. is more fun. And I go to I a agree track with you. And I think I want to drive a car that makes me feel as a part of the process. And to me, a manual transmission is really important uh, to that aspect. A car that we don't usually end up talking about and probably is forgotten in this class of vehicles is the uh, RCF, the Lexus RCF. Is that worth mentioning? Oh yeah, I. No, it's not at all in the same class. I mean, the RCF to me is a hot rod. It's got a it's got a cool no, it's got a cool V8 engine, but it's very heavy. It's not fun to drive at the limit. It's as a result, uh, you know the story behind the RCF, right? And the I think RCF I understand it. They kind of combined some elements from the IS and the GS, right? Well, what they that's correct, and the elements thing they, they incorporated were uh, part of the uh, the yeah, ISC, the, heavy, the convertible the version of the IS. <laughs> yes, because they planned to make a convertible version of the RC, and then that never <laughs> happened. So they ended up they ended up with a car that was significantly heavier than it had to be, and they just there was nothing they could do at that point. The platform was decided, and it had been built out of this ISC GS kind of combination of parts. So that's really neutered its ability on a racetrack. Uh, in a straight line, it, it's you know it's it sounds the business and it's it's got that nasty snarl, but it's really not an engaging vehicle to drive. And the transmission isn't great either. Uh, it, it, you know, Lexus can build an amazing driver's car. I mean, the LC is a perfect example of that. That's a no compromise car where they weren't forced to Frankenstein a bunch of platforms together. They actually developed something unique and purpose purpose built. Sorry. Uh, but the GSF and the RCF, uh, they're, they're vehicles that I think never I really found you. their audience. Um, but you know what? I think it's time to change gears. Do you mind if, uh, if we talk about another car now? Sure. I, I, are we going to change gears into ninth speed? Yeah, like the, we're going to go into... AMG's ninth speed? Or, or is the car you're driving it have does fewer have gears, gears. I got to drive a actually my first Porsche press vehicle, the first one I've taken home um, after six years in this um, industry. Now, I have driven Porsches before. Uh, and I've driven one of these cars uh, in the past, but not as high of a trim. Of course, I'm talking about the 718 GTS, um, and it's the Boxster in particular. Um, the Boxster? What's okay. that? All right. It's called no, the 718 GTS. Yeah, there's nothing weird about that. What do you Just mean? <laughs> you okay. heard what I said. Um, and I got to drive it for a little bit. Uh, I got a short week because I took a quick trip to the UK to celebrate my sister's graduation. So, 
Congratulations, Anushka. We're all very proud of you. <laughs> and, uh, but I, all this time, I wanted to get back to this 718 Boxster GTS because, one, it's a very attractive-looking car. I think the, the Boxster and the Cayman are two of the prettiest cars on the market. And the GTS, yes? And it's it's cool that they, it's cool that they look so good now because there was a time when the Cayman was I awkward. I think the Boxster looking. was always the awkward looking one. I thought the Cayman was the pretty one. What? No. Well, that's really interesting. No, it had the weird roof um, line. I thought I had the weird roof But line. one thing that they've done to the GTS is they've replaced the engine with a 2.5 liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine that makes 365 horsepower. And what they had before was a naturally aspirated six-cylinder. Now, that old engine didn't sound very good, but I used to really enjoy naturally aspirated engines, especially boxers, which didn't have a lot of torque, but they rewarded you for climbing through the revs, and uh, and you end up feeling like you earned the speed that you got. That. It sounded pretty good. I'm going to have to back you up on that. I think that that engine yeah. sounded great, especially Some in the GTS. Some people said it, it didn't. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't Some go people. And, I wouldn't throw it out of I wouldn't throw it out of my garage, you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> wow. This new engine is so powerful. It has it it makes so much power and it makes it so early in the rev range, uh, especially its torque. Um, well, about, I think it's about 317 pounds feet of torque. That's very early on. And the car just feels like a rocket ship. I had the PDK, which is the dual clutch transmission equipped version, and it does zero to sixty in three point nine seconds. That's yeah, that's that's, that's Audi RS5. That's nine eleven Carrera S territory, which is weird, right? It's not weird. I mean, it's a smaller, lighter platform with better mass distribution, so it doesn't surprise me that it, the 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 Cayman and the and the Boxster are better vehicles than the nine eleven. This. I am not ashamed um, to say that. I, I, but that just is what weird. That that's what weirds me out about it. To me, the Boxster and the Cayman were these playful cars, where the 911 was the serious, um, the halo vehicle for the for the brand. That's what people thought of when they when it came to the the Porsche brand. And for the Boxster to be as good as everything else, it just feels a little weird. And I think the character has changed dramatically with this new with this new engine. It doesn't feel like something that's rewarding you with speed. It just feels like something that's giving you, with with, just from the get go, all the speed that you can handle, and it feels crazy fast. Yeah, it's it's just fast. It's just fast all the time. I've driven a, a Boxster S mm -hmm. with that new engine on the Autobahn in Germany, and we very easily pegged the limiter at 155 miles an hour. It's and it's it's it feels and I don't know if that's really. really what I expected from a GTS. I mean, from a, a Boxster. I mean, is that what these small cars? To me, a small car is supposed to be a really intuitive, engaging vehicle, and it just doesn't feel like it's engaging when it's just a, a turbocharged what? rocket ship. You don't feel like it's well, an engaging that's, car? That's, I mean, the balance in that car is phenomenal. I mean. I mean, it does a lot of things really well. The suspension the steering are fantastic. In fact, the bench maybe the benchmark in the industry. Amazing feeling car. But the powertrain is, is just not as – it's not like the rest. That's what I'm saying. I also want to say it's it is a small car, but it's also an eighty thousand yeah, dollar car. It's more. That's the base price the GTS for the GTS. Starts at, yeah, eighty two thousand dollars in the U.S., which is a lot of money. Um, yeah. I think almost more or as much as a nine eleven as well. So again, when you have and a base boxer is only fifty nine, so it's a isn't huge that difference. crazy? Now here's the thing. At the end of the day, do I do I want to keep driving the GTS? Mm, yes, absolutely. It's it is still fun. It just feels more serious because of the straight line speed it can achieve. But it's still a fantastic car. 
I don't know if this is the, this is the most appropriate trim level. You've got to really love what the GTS, uh, the 718s do uh, to pay that much money for them. You know, you have to really fall in love with that yeah, balance. It, it, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, looking at the base Boxster, you're still getting 300 yeah. horsepower, and it does 60 in 4.9 seconds. That's, that's very, very fast, and that's 59 grand for, for yeah. a base Boxster. So you, you look at the GTS, and you're, you're only getting another 65 horsepower. Yeah. You're getting more torque, but it's a full second faster. So it, it's like... I think the GTS is. I like that trim of the car. I haven't driven the GTS with the four with the the four cylinder yet, but I've always really liked the previous versions of the GTS. I feel like they had the nice combination of features, uh, attitude in terms of the look, and just performance. Uh, it, it's not even the the fastest version of the, of the Cayman or the Boxer. You can get the GT4 mm-hmm. version of the Cayman, right, and just really school everybody. But if I was buying a Porsche, a Porsche, I'm I'm buying a Cayman. It's, I'm not interested in a 911, regardless of how much incrementally quicker. I think I agree with line. you. To me, the Cayman is the specialer car, or the more special car. I made up a word. Isn't that cool? The, the most, most specialist car. car. It is super intuitive to just jump into and feel, especially with that manual transmission. I really wish I had a manual transmission model, but um, I will say that 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 2.5 liter turbo is just blazingly fast just from the get-go and you and it's just something i wasn't prepared for in the smallest porsche sports car that they offer you know what i mean i i, I guess so i i i, just, I don't know I, I just feel like i think the the boxer and the cayman used to be like the stealth options from porsche like these are the cars that people in the know would buy i i, I kind of feel like now they're exactly just that's supercars. exactly because <laughs> like, taking the cur- they pulled the curtain away, and it's like, hey, I, the, the jig is up, and these are the ones you should be buying. And and, and the pricing has gone up I to agree reflect with you. That. That's exactly it. It's a mini supercar. It feels like that. Um, it's also a really um, refined vehicle. I'm really impressed with a lot of the details in the car, um, especially with the roof up. I When you sit in, in a Boxster with the roof up, it feels like a coupe. It doesn't feel like a, a soft top or a hard top or anything like that. It feels like a complete car, just that a roof that you can remove later on. I've never done it. I've never been in a Unfortunately, it was raining Tampa. during some of my time while I was driving it. <laughs> I no think excuse. it is. I didn't want to ruin an $80,000 car. If you drive quickly enough, yeah, you that doesn't work in the By traffic. By putting the top up, I you live. ruin your reputation. Yeah, I live in here. Um, and another thing that I thought was really interesting, something that was unexpected. Now, a lot of people look at these kinds of cars and they think they're, uh, they're impractical. Um, the front trunk, also known as the frunk, is actually really spacious, and it can handle at least two um, carry-on bags. And I thought that was really that was unexpected for me. And there's also a trunk in the back that can handle like a backpack or a big purse. So, well, I will point out that a two-seat roadster is still <laughs> not the most practical. Well, I'm trying to say I still <laughs> got to the airport with my with my luggage, no problem in the in the GTS. Oh, and if everyone's lifestyle was identical to yours, then everyone would drive a Porsche. <laughs> exactly. Now, I don't know. Like this is this this is a question that I had with you uh, a while back. Is there a is there an equal for the Boxster um, and Cayman out there? Is there anything out there that really feels like a competitor for these cars? Probably a Corvette Grand Sport. What? No way. A Corvette Grand Sport is more like a 911 competitor. I I just I'm just talking about in terms of feel and performance. Uh, it's it's very very similar, and and they're right. At, it's at the right price point too. I mean I think the Corvette Grand Sport's a significant. Do you think it's as balanced as a as a Cayman or a Boxster? 
No, but no non-mid-engine car is going to be. So it, once you eliminate that from the table, you just have to kind of look around and see what's similar. It, you know, a, a, base, a base Cayman versus a base Corvette. I think that that's an interesting comparison. Uh, maybe not the Grand Sport, but the, the Grand Sport versus a, a Cayman S? Sure, why not? I mean, that's that's interesting comparison as well. I, I don't really think Corvette and 911 owners right. are cross-shopping. Uh, and the Corvette is so much less expensive than a 911. I mean, until you get to, like, Z06 territory, and then you're starting to get into a very expensive car, which has 911 turbo slaying <laughs> capability, uh, I, I think that, yeah, you kind of have to... I don't, I don't think you can compare, like, a Mustang to that's a... That's right. Uh, to There's only Cayman. one car out there that I think is and, a direct competitor, and that's the Alfa Romeo 4C. What? No, no way. No, the the car to a box I, I or, a, or a Cayman, a four C isn't a competitor to those cars. Not not a direct competitor. I, I the four C. That's I mean, like we've the talked only about other mid engine car in this size. I, I we've talked about how it's a gloriously yeah. flawed car in the past, but performance wise, power wise, it's way down on the Boxster. You know, like it's. I guess it's a it's a competitor in the sense that, like you said, they're. Both have mid-engine design, and they're both turbocharged, and they're both rear-wheel drive. I I I don't know. I, I think that like after that, or am I, maybe maybe I'm just being abuse about this. <laughs> I help, mean, help me out, it Sammy. is kind of interesting because the 4C I believe is only about 2,500 pounds, so that might negate some of the power difference between the two cars. But there is a significant power difference. I think the 4C makes about 237 horsepower, while a base Cayman makes 300. Right? Like it's nuts. Okay, well, you know what? I'm going to walk but back everything Boxster I said. But the Boxster weighs 3,000 yeah, yeah, pounds. It isn't as, it's yeah. not as light as the 4C. They are competitors. You're right. I'm, I was just being obtuse. But I could never recommend <laughs> yeah. anyone buy the 4C over a Boxster. As much as I love the 4C, and I really love it, and it's <laughs> the one I would buy because I'm I'm an idiot. <laughs> Wait, like, so you just uh, went on the podcast. You said, this is uh, not a competitor to the 4C, but I like it. I mean, this is not a competitor to the Cayman but, of the Boxster, like, but I like it enough to want to buy it at some point. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't think I don't think it's competitive to the... I think that the Cayman and the Boxster blow the 4C away in every single, like, meaningful yeah. category, especially, especially if I was recommending yeah. the car to somebody. But I like the 4C because it's tons of fun, and it's an absurd car. Absolutely. It's unique, right? Um, and it's very unique. What's you that? don't see a lot of them. And I'm, I don't it, want to say that the Boxster <laughs> and the Cayman are more common. They're definitely more common than the 4C. They're more common. They're, they're not popular, though. They are more common, but they do not sell very many of them, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the 4C is just – it's some parts of it are so terrible that I can, I can never you tell someone to buy. Like, there's no there's cargo zero... space in the 4C. No, there's not. If you fold the top and put it in the trunk, that's it for the trunk. And at the front, you there's, can't open there's it. nothing. Yeah. There's just air. You can't open it. It's just air. It's like, whatever. There's a USB dongle hanging from below the dash and a Pioneer stereo system in it. It's got, I, I've said this before, but it's got a carbon fiber tub, yet weighs a little bit more than a Miata, which doesn't have a carbon fiber tub and actually has a larger engine. <laughs> It's like it's the car is so ridiculous in so many ways, but it's one of the most impressive, fun cars I've driven in the last five years, and I would Which totally love to. Brings me have back it. to the Cayman. The Cayman now and the Boxster feel really serious, buttoned-down, solidly built vehicles, and that's not a knock on on the Porsche. It just seems to have taken away some of the the pure 
ridiculous joy that I think the these cards could have had. Well, I think that they've always been semi-buttoned down, but you're right, it has only increased as time has gone on. And that's not exactly. necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I mean, these are excellent cars. They... It's hard to think of a better sports car at that I price. I also think that to be honest, 718 buyers will no longer feel or should no longer feel like the they just got the entry level ticket into the Porsche club. They are now in serious oh, cars. Definitely. They're like you said, mini supercars. They're amazing. So much of that is marketing though. I mean, Porsche has marketed the 911 to be such an important part of its mm -hmm. overall image and they're very invested in that and it's a very good car. It's not necessarily the best sports car that they make, though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it that doesn't matter because tons of people are buying 911s. Very few people are buying Caymans and well, and I mean, 911s. I'm like they appreciate eventually, from what I've under, what I understand, they seem to be. Some of them do, unless well, it's the 996. In which case, sorry. I think sorry. eventually appreciate again. <laughs> but All you right. know what I mean? Like, there's something special about the 911 that continues on through the ages, but. And, Boxers and Caymans always seem like a really cool cool bargain, especially if you find one that's a couple of years old, right? Well, the the original Boxster, the the '90s era Boxster, was mm -hmm. not fast at all. It was it had a, a, a unimpressive levels of power, but it's it was exactly. a great handler. Uh, that's that's been in in the mix since the beginning, and it was only now that Porsche has stepped up and they, they were protecting the 911 for a long time by not giving the Boxster platform the power that it needed to compete, and I understand that. But now it does have that power. Now it's now it's a choice of which flavor do you like. Not well, I'm really I'm I'm really uh, impressed with the 718 uh, GTS. It's incredibly fast. It wasn't what I was expecting, but I still ended up really enjoying it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, and I think definitely. that's that's all the cards we've got um, to talk about this week. Is there anything else you want to add? There, there's been some interesting developments in the industry. There's a new uh, Mercedes A-Class sedan, for example, that just dropped on us. Um, and I think you'll remember I talked about the A-Class hatchback a while back. And the U.S. isn't getting the hatchback. They're getting the sedan instead. And they're also getting a different powertrain. Um, instead of the two-liter turbo that makes... 220 horsepower and 258 pound-feet of torque, which is what the Canadians are getting. The A-Class sedan will come in A220 form and will make 188 horsepower and 221 pound-feet of torque. Interesting, right? So I, 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 it is, it is somewhat interesting. Um, I, you know, it's, I don't really have any new car inf information to to share <laughs> past what we've talked about any industry stuff. I did want to talk about some stuff that happened to me oh, with yeah. my, my Datsun recently, though. Because I, I had some re, uh, realizations about um, driving an older car. So, so over the last year or so, my car has been vibrating, and I didn't even notice. Um, what so do you I mean you didn't notice that the car familiar. was vibrating? What happened? Well, so I have a 1978 Datsun 280Z, and it's a first-generation Datsun, which means it's the S30 car. It's the same as the 240, just with a fuel-injected motor that's a little bit larger. And it's my track car, and I, I bought it three years ago, actually almost exactly three years ago. And I've been slowly modernizing the suspension, but I kept everything under the hood stock. And the thing about an old car is you kind of expect it to vibrate and shake and, and do stuff that a new car doesn't. Like, it's not as smooth as a new car. But the other thing about uh, an old car is 
over time, those vibrations can get worse, but it's so gradual that you don't know it's happening. It's like male pattern baldness, Sammy, except with a car. Your friends all notice that it's happening because they don't see you all the time. <laughs> but, like, you see yourself all the time, so you're like, yeah, I look good. I look sick. And then, like, your friends are like, buddy, maybe you should wear a bandana like the guy from the from Poison. And, I, and you're like, no, why? Why? Everything's cool with my hair. And then one day everything just drops and you realize – all your hair is gone. So that happened to me with my Datsun. Um, I'd been having these things where I was driving to the racetrack, I would get weird vibrations in certain gears at certain speeds, usually on the highway. And like, at first I just put it off to, I, I put on some larger stickier tires and I figured it was just, you know, they, they were known to be loud. So I'm like, oh, it's probably that. It's not a big deal. Or, oh, it's probably just, you know, I have some very stiff uh, polyurethane bushings in the suspension, in the uh, engine mounts. I thought maybe, oh, it's it's that. That's not a big deal. But then I, I got to the track. Um, uh, I, I was driving in Palmer, Massachusetts, which is a beautiful track in a town called Ware. And uh, I got off the track from my last session of the day, and I heard this clunk and then kind of a oh, grinding no. metal sound coming from the back of the car. Yeah. So that's not good, right? Especially when you're 500 miles from home and you, you have to drive back. But um, I drove back, and the vibrations didn't seem to be that different on the way home. And the clunking was definitely new, and the sounds were definitely new. But over the next, like, couple weeks, it just got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. So I finally went into the shop, uh, a friend of mine's shop, K&S, uh, uh, mm -hmm. K &S Autosport in Montreal. And we put it up on a lift. We couldn't, couldn't figure anything out. Everything seemed to be fine. There was a left rear axle was a little bit loose. So we replaced the axle, uh, the, sorry, the U-joint on the axle. Uh, other than that, everything seemed cool. Uh, went home with the new axle repair and the sound was still there. So I went back the next day, we put on a lift. I rode in the, in the car while it was on the lift and I just was revving and shaking the drive train, trying to, to see if we could get anything to shake loose or to show that it was out of shape. And we were eventually able to figure out that the differential mount for the back of the car was like oh, no. completely gone. It, it was, it was you you would only see it with the car in the air because it would only do it under certain types of acceleration. Um, it would pull away from from the mount, and if you put a pry bar in, everything moved together like it was fine. But if you put the pry bar between the mount and the chassis, or sort of between the mount and the diff, you could just lift them apart like there was no connection. So. I was assured that this wasn't a problem, that it would be safe to, to drive on the track like this. It was safe to drive around in general. Mm -hmm. It would just be a little noisy. But I, I went to a track day the next day at uh, Mont Tremblant, and the oh, car shook what? itself apart. Like, it, it just it, – yeah, the, the vibrations, they increased to the point where uh, the entire rear end was shuddering all the time above, like, 3,000 RPM. So I, I parked it after a session and a half. It was just too distracting. Drove home in this, like, cement mixer full of rocks, which is basically what the car felt like. And then I parked it. I ended up replacing the um, the diff mount with a new solution that mounts from the top. It's actually pretty cool. And I, I bought a new drive shaft at the same time, an aluminum one-piece, because who knows how unbalanced that old drive shaft had become over 40 years of driving. And now that those are in, the car feels like a brand new car. Like, I drive it, and I'm amazed at how smooth and quiet it is. And I shouldn't be amazed. That's how it should have been all the time. But because in my mind, I was like, old mm -hmm. cars are noisy, old cars are, are rough, this is normal, I, I completely disregarded that something was wrong. So I guess the message I want to get out is, if your car <laughs> is doing something weird <laughs> that, that you think is normal because it's old, it's probably not normal. It's probably about to lose all of its hair on a racetrack and oh. end your day. 
So I, I actually ended up driving my dad's Mustang for the rest of that day. It was very kind of him to do that. A uh, very different experience from the Datsun, I can tell you that. But yeah, uh, next track session is in a couple weeks, and I'm very excited to have the new Very drive cool. Show. I can't wait to hear more about that. Uh, your Datsun is always a popular car. People love to comment about it. It's very attractive. It's very nice, and it's really hardcore. It's like super race-ready, so I love that. Um, if you guys want to hear more about, well, Ben's Datsun and other cars that we've got going on, or if you want to tell us how much you hate hearing about Ben's <laughs> Be Datsun. Be sure to actually send us a message. I prefer Twitter. You can find me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben. He likes to prefer – he likes it when you talk to him on Instagram. Uh, he's at Hunting Benjamin. What else? And you can also email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com or – Go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. We have a contact page there. We also have every single episode we've ever recorded. I think Holy we're up moly. to 85 now. And you can listen. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's crazy how much time we've invested <laughs> into this relationship, Sammy. But uh, you can you can download them all or just listen to them on the site, whatever you want to do. You can also find us on Google Play Music, uh, the new Google Podcasts app. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on iTunes. Sammy, where else can people um, find us? On Facebook. Come to our Facebook page, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. You'll find us. And all of our cars uh, up there as well. So thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you again next week.